for the questions. Um, okay, so Bhakti Rasa has a question. Can't hear her. Is she Morning, Gamaraj. Morning. You know. Yes, good to see okay. you. Nice to be seen. Thank you. So um, I have a, I do have a question. Um, I was thinking about this recently, and it seems inevitable that um, transgressions and disputes between Sangha members will occur. So I would appreciate it if you could somehow offer um, some general guidance as to how to navigate disputes between members of our Sangha and also specifically to guard against committing offenses in the course of resolving those issues that might even be more spiritually damaging than the original transgression itself. So I know it's kind of a very broad question, but if anything you could offer, I'd greatly appreciate it. Well, um, what comes to mind first is um, a standard of sorts that we hear about from the oral tradition in Braj. And uh, that, uh, by that I refer to the um, reports, if you will, that um, Rupa and Sanatan residing in Braj were, uh, although absorbed in their bhajan and their theological uh, work through their writings and so forth, both of which made them less accessible if you will, uh, to the common folk. Um, the history is such, um, I mentioned oral tradition, but let's for a moment go to the written tradition. I think uh, there's uh, some material written describing Sanatana Goswami's uh, walking as he would through the villages and so forth and how people would run up to him and children hold his hand and so forth and so on. And he was considered like, uh, you know, the grandfather of everybody. Um, he was called Munda Baba because he always shaved his head. I've told the story before when he passed away, every man, woman and child in Brudge shaved their heads to show allegiance to him. So, um, as much as he and Rupa, for example, Rupa Goswami were internally absorbed and unaccessible, there, it appears that they were also uh, accessible to um, the people of Braj and that brought them in contact with um, the inevitable uh, disputes, if you will, that would would arise between people 
<clears throat> and so it's said that um, that they would go before Rupert Sanatan because they had complete confidence in their being unbiased or being fair and balanced with regard to um, their decision, caring equally about each party and so on and so forth. Because they had confidence in them, they would place the debate or, or an issue, uh, maybe it was maybe it might have been a philosophical issue or a bit more the way the story goes anyway, history goes is with regard to common disputes, which um, could be large, could be small, um, right? And, and they would decide whatever they would decide, how then people would be satisfied because they had faith, they had confidence in it. So this is a beautiful story. And of course it illustrates a very simple point. And that being that um, in order to settle disputes, uh, you really need an objective party whom you, whom both, who will consider both sides from all angles and um, uh, and there's uh, and and can give an unbiased you know kind of opinion if he or she of course is 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 familiar enough with the topic then you get into some you know relativity here familiar enough with the topic you might find a person who's unbiased to deal with an issue you know in 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 a, in a community um, that's not well informed on the subject matter, and so that might be a problem. And it depends, of course, how large the issue is. But I'm just talking about it in in yeah. in, in general. If it becomes a very big issue, well, then it has to go up the ladder in terms of who the unbiased person, you know, would be to make the decision. He or she. Like for example, myself, I don't have to make a decision about every dispute everybody has, obviously. Um, but uh, the more it becomes a, a prominent one, well, then it would seem appropriate to come to someone like myself, my um, attention. And um, you know, a word about me is I, I tend to be pretty, um, besides being unbiased, fair, caring about everybody. I, I tend to be pretty informed about things uh, in the world and how they work and so forth. So, but I think that, um, you know, just in principle that, that, that uh, you have to find an unbiased person. I remember once I had a dispute with a godbrother of mine who had taken Sanyas and Pujapad Sridhar Marsh. And um, uh, Shudra Marsh asked me in private to try to get this guy engaged more. So um, I did, and I invited him to work with me and so on and so forth. And um, we, among other things, purchased a building. I raised really all the money and whatnot, um, but his, his name and my name were on, the, were on the building. And anyway, at a certain point, he decided that he didn't want to work with with me uh, in the same mission, and so I said, you know, that's fine. But then he he wanted that, you know, 
my mission would keep playing, paying for the building. His name would be on it. He'd be getting half of the equity as the property value increased. And I thought that was rather unreasonable. Um, and so we had a dispute. And so I suggested, well, let's have an arbitrator, you know, and um, he agreed. And I selected one and he, he wholeheartedly agreed to the arbitrator, another, another sannyasi from another related, but another mission. Um, also a disciple of Prabhupada who had taken sannyas from Prashita Marsh. So anyway, he interviewed us and he asked us everything, you know, both sides to fully give our, our case and so forth. So he took it in and then he did, then he came to his decision and he said, Dripurai Marsh 100% right and other Marsh zero. That's how he decided, that's how I looked at it. But anyway, he was fair and he was, and that was his, his verdict. And the other guy wouldn't accept it. So then, you know, and there's a breakdown, which is um, unfortunate and, um, you know, dishonest. What can I, what can I say uh, if someone does that? So we have to be able, if we trust them and we know we have to be able to stomach, you know, the, the fact that they may give a verdict that's different than the way we see it, think of it, uh, feel about it and, and so on and so forth. So anyway, just a little historical note in my own life in that regard, but that's how I you know, sought to resolve it, to find an objective person. And I think that's basically the, the standard. So I hope that helps. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Another question. Um, Sean has a question and hopefully we can hear him this time. Um, Okay, Sean. Okay. Good morning, Maharaj. Thank you for your time today again, Hare Krishna. Good morning. Um, I just had a question about um, a little little backstory. Um, I was having a conversation with a commentary that I used to hold in high regard. You know, I have a lot of respect for and became a good friend of mine. And um, I was recently talking to him. So I'm in, I'm in the middle of a divorce. And oh, sorry to I, hear that. It's okay. It's actually a mutual, uh, it's a positive thing. And okay. um, we've basically decided that in order for us to grow into the next stages of our lives and be good parents, that we should do it separately and just have a mutual positive relationship as far as our child's goes. So my question is so. Basically, I, when I was talking with him, he was um, he started really coming down on me and was saying things like, um, you know, no, no, no other devotee is going to take you serious. Like you cannot achieve the higher like a higher level because, you know, you've created you basically have committed this great offense. And he said that I have what failed. Offense? Did you cook? I don't know. I, yes, I guess so. Yeah. And he was saying that, um, he was saying that, um, I have failed as a devotee and as a, as a partner, I guess. Um, he was also saying something, uh, oh, he was saying that I need to look at this as this is a, um, like a test of Krishna for my tolerance and, just, just saying some pretty nasty personal things that, and I really just got me really 
fathered. So I wanted to come to you for advice and ask you, um, is this true? Like, am I going to be not shunned, but looked downly upon because of this? And also, uh, I was not a devotee when me and my wife got married. This is something that's come since we've been married that I, you know, started getting into Krishna consciousness and go to Vaishnava again as a whole. And stuff. So thank you again for your time. Well, okay. Yeah. Just sorry, to sorry to unpack advice. all that on you. That's fine. That's fine. That's what I'm here for. Um, I just, uh, I, I would guess, and it may be worse than this or greater than this uh, in numbers, I should say, uh, whether it's worse, I don't know necessarily, but I would estimate that at least 50% of the marriages between devotees in the amongst Prabhupada's disciples resulted in a divorce or splitting up. Um, it was, it, it's uh, so you wouldn't be alone. <laughs> you'd be with a, with probably, you probably be in the majority, um, to be honest with you. Um, and like I say, I don't know if it's worse. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a, uh, particular social and religious perspective that marriage is for life and uh, and uh, and so on and so forth um, and uh, sacred rights and uh, it should be honored and I think in the Catholic Church I was raised as a Catholic divorce was a sin uh, I can't remember but I think so um, but uh, I think that. Uh, Life socially is more complicated nowadays than it was in the past when um, those ideas that I just mentioned were more were more prominent. Um, marriages were, you know, very different even in the Western world when I was young. Hey, even to get married, it was. It was very different, uh, starting to change, but you used to have to go and, you know, beat her father and get permission and the whole, you know, it's not like that the same. And, and uh, anyway, um, I wouldn't give it too much concern personally. I think that uh, the two of you uh, feel it's positive and you're going to move forward um, in a way that works best for all concerned. And, uh, and uh, it's probably good people get into relationships and think they're going to be one thing and find out there's something else. And uh, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different social standards that you could come up with, but everybody wants the same thing. Hmm? Uh, parents want usually their kids to be married and be happily married. That's what they want. They wanted that for themselves. That's for most, most people. Um, and um, and so how are you going to go about it? Well, you know, you get an astrologer and, uh, and uh, he looks at the chart and then you look at the, uh, what kind of family he's from, what kind of family she's from. You try to match up all these, what are the different ages, relative compatibilities, right? You try to match up 
And if it's not matching up on a scale of 10 points of compatibility, you know, above eight, well, maybe it's not a good arrangement. That's how it was looked at in the past, in the world over. It's not just in India, but uh, throughout. The, um, and um, India may have had a more sophisticated system about it. I'm, I'm not sure, but with, you know, with astrology and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, that's practical. Look for compatibility and so on and so forth. Um, that said, um, and so, you know, there are different even types of Vedic marriages and so forth. Incidentally, Krishna says that um, in Kali Yuga, the, the only marriage that's valid, Vedic marriage, and the best one is the Gandharva marriage, which is based on infatuation only. <laughs> that, that's the only, that, that's, the, that's the main point. Hmm which contradicts you know, the whole other pragmatic approach. Um, uh, he mentions that in the Bhagavatam um, and in, the, in Mahabharata also uh, as drawn from the commentaries. But at, but at any rate, um, uh, things have, are different. I think you, you, know, you, you, you have to look at principles uh, moral principles and, 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 and then the details. The details may change, the principle may remain, remains the same. So um, let's say, you know, to, to, the, the way of that people get together now is different. People may date, people may uh, for a long time and not get married and then later get married and so forth, which would have been totally, you know, irreligious, uh, you know, in, in, in previous times, living together and so on and so forth. But I mean, um, they want the same result. Their parents want the same result that is approached in another way. If you get the result, good. Well, now here you didn't get the result. Um, you experimented, <laughs> you got married, I guess you had children or one or something. Um, and, you know, it's not working. And there are pragmatic reasons why it's not working. And so, you make an adjustment and go forward. It doesn't have anything to do with your bhakti. It, it has nothing to do with bhakti. Bhakti, it, it, this is, it has to do with Varnashram, Dharma, social religious considerations and so on and so forth. Um, so the, the, the fellow is wrong for, you know, um, advising you in that way that somehow your, your bhakti will be uh, negatively affected by um, your marriage uh, status. Um, they, 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 they don't really, there's no, there's no like anga of bhakti to, to be married like this or not to be married like that. So he's kind of, kind of conflating a social religious perspective and that patched together in his head from some ancient times, what he might know about it and trying to you know, put that in place now in relation to you and your situation in these times. And at the same time, which doesn't make a lot of sense, and at the same time con conflating a social religious concern with bhakti, which is, you know, is a, is the, is the, is the Nivriti marg. It's the it's the moving away from 
social religious identities. It's a transcendental goal. Bhakti stands on the head, you know, of, of, of our ashram. Sarvadharma pratyajamangikam sharanam raja. So to say that your bhakti, to say that your bhakti will be negatively affected or positively affected hmm, by varnashram considerations is to teach that teach a version of bhakti that is covered by karma. Rupa Goswami teaches jnana karmadi anavritam, that his uttam bhakti, hmm, the marginal characteristics of that uttam bhakti are that it's not covered by jnana or karma. That means that I don't think my faith, my shraddha, and as a result, my practice is not such that I think it depends for it to be virtuous and, and, and fruitful hmm, upon observance of norms within the social religious system let's say for, in this case for a, a Varnashram, that if it's not, if I don't adhere to that, my bhakti will be negatively affected. If I adhere to that, my bhakti will be positively affected. That's to think that bhakti is not independent in and of herself to bring about the desired result. Do you understand? So this is fairly common. I see a lot of, lot of this, there's a confusion. And, and a conflation between Varnashram and Bhakti that ends up becoming an advocacy of Bhakti covered by karma. So it really has nothing to do with your Bhakti. Um, as far as your social status within the community of devotees, well, it depends on how enlightened and insightful and thoughtful the devotees are. And probably lots of these days married couples and married devotees realize that there are that, 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 that there's a fair chance that couples will run into uh, issues that make them more compatible with one another if they separate from one another and that's more, more emotion emotionally uh, stable if you will uh, for horizontally speaking for progressing uh, vertically in spiritual life. So that's my opinion on that. And I'll end with what's a brahmachari have to say about all that? You know, brahmachari is going to tell us everything about marriage. It seems a little out, out of place. So I wouldn't pay much attention to that at all. Other than what I'm saying, I think it's important to pay attention to that and understand it properly. Okay. Thank you so much, Maharaj. I really appreciate that. That made me feel okay. a lot better. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all, all your time. Thank you. So um, Krishna Das has a question next. Okay. Good morning, Guru Maharaj. Good morning. Um, so my question is kind of, uh, it's related to Harinam Sankirtan in relation to the other um, like principal angas of bhakti. So I was wondering, sometimes I've heard that any one of the nine principal angas can take one to become perfected in the path. But then sometimes I've also heard that uh, any of the other angas are incomplete 
without one's engagement in Hari Nam Sankirtan. And if, of course, in our tradition, uh, we that's our main practice. So I guess I was wondering how to resolve that apparent contradiction or confusion I have. Yeah, well, uh, the Angas are all um, independently capable of the principal Angas, let's say, given by Prahlad Maharaj, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani Vidam, let's you know, deal with those. Um, they're all independently uh, capable of um, delivering one from uh, 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 perfecting one. And uh, Rupa Swami gives examples, Dr. Rasamita Sindhu, of uh, different devotees who became perfected by chanting. Um, and there we have uh, Sukadev, who chanted the Bhagavatam, that's a type of kirtan. Parikshit Maharaj, who heard, and so on. Uh, so maybe Prahlad Maharaj through uh, remembering, um, and so forth. So he gives examples of all of them. There are many other angas of bhakti as well. And, um, and uh, it would be difficult to incorporate kirtan into in some of them, even amongst the, the um, main ones, let's say Vandanam, offering prayers. How are you gonna do offer prayers and do kirtan at the same time? Unless the kirtan becomes the prayer. I mean, it's, it's uh, or, uh, you know, dasyam. It's not like, you know, uh, let's say you render service uh, to the deity uh, personally and you have to be chanting all the time. There, there is chanting is involved in archan that is incorporated there, that's true. Um, but sakyam, Atmani Vedidam, um, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, uh, I think that the idea there that you sometimes hear that you're referring to without a precise uh, citation or quotation to support the idea that, that Harinam has to accompany the others. I don't think there is such a statement, but the idea is that, that that in Kali Yuga, Harinam takes precedence, that it, that it has, um, uh, it is particularly um, effective. It's the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Goloker, Premodhan, Harinam, Sankirtan. Um, so um, it should be prominent in the lives of the devotees. Um, but I don't think every Anga of Bhakti of uh, the 64 has to be done along with kirtan in order to be effective. Uh, uh, but, but emphasis should be given to Harinam. So let's take an example, you know, very relative to our, our practice. Our path, uh, as uh, explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to um, his external reason for coming was to distribute uh, opportunity to enter the Ragmarg and attain the Brajalila. Um, that's how, now you can imagine how esoteric his reasons for appearing are. That's, that's his exoteric reason. So, um, the, and the Ragmarg in particular has an emphasis on Smarnam. The Siddha Deha is a meditative body. 
So it's created, if you will. I mean, it's eternal, but it arises um, <clears throat> in a subjective realm out of meditation and so forth. So there's a strong emphasis there on smarnam. It's central to um, the practice raganuga, following the ragatmika. Ragatmika bhakti is the sadhya, the goal. Raganuga is the sadhana, um, as explained in Priti Sandarva by Jiva Goswami. So, despite the fact that smarnam is central, the emphasis has been given by uh, Jiva Goswami, Bhakti Sandarbha, for example, that it should be accompanied by Kirtan. So, um, despite that, because Kirtan is what it is in terms of Kali Yuga and the time and the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, therefore. Um, so, there are statements like that, and that makes, makes sense. Bhakti Siddhanta, the great Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, he said that Kirtana Prabhave Smarana Swabhave, that by the force and the power of Kirtan, natural meditation will arise. Nothing can uh, serve us better, <clears throat> excuse me, as a means to control the mind and senses than the power of Kirtan. And when the, through the power of Kirtan, the mind and the senses become controlled, then you're in a meditative state. So the Kirtan fosters the meditation. So that's an example of how Kirtan assists Smarnam and is uh, um, recommended, if not mandated, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, Smarnam be so uh, assisted by Kirtan. Again, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur saying this Smarnam is currently coming out of the Kirtan. And then within the Smarnam, you go deeply, you can find yourself doing Kirtan in, within the Smarnam. So, so I think that's the idea. That help? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, Guru Maharaj. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Hare Krishna. Um, so there's another question, um, and it's in the chat. Um, okay, so it's from Bhajan Das, and he says, um, Pranam Guru Maharaj, could you please present some ideas regarding the relationship between the two verses, Aham Vedmi Sukho Veti Vaso Veti Na Veti Va, and the verse about the commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam submitted by Sridhar Swami? Um, who has a very different, who has a very similar format, but um, some different points. Raj Veti Na Veti Va. I did not find the verse, but I have heard it in your classes about Sri Nasringa. And the verse concludes by saying that the mercy of Lord Nasringa, Sri Swami, understood Sri Mad Bhagavatam. Yes, um, those are two similar verses, but they're different. And um, the latter verse is a verse that is said to have emerged from the Shiva deity at whose feet the Bhagavatam commentary of Sridhar Maharaj was placed. Um, it was placed there because uh, Sridhar Swami was the leading 
Acharya in the Govardhan Math of Shankar, which is in Jagannath Puri. And so he has an Advaitin uh, background, but his commentary was inconsistent with the Advaitin uh, Siddhanta. And so there was some confusion about that as to its authenticity and so forth. And apparently uh, some debate and it was a dispute to go back to our first question was resolved by putting it before an unbiased person who would consider it carefully, Mahadev Kijai. Uh, so the deity of Shiva responded in this way with this verse, verse is said to have come from the deity in, in some way. Um, and it's similar in the first two lines to the other verse, which comes from Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Sanskrit verse. It seems to be a verse of um, Krishnadas Kaviraj's own composition. Um, and the first two lines say that, well, the asana may know the Bhagavata, he may not, Sukadev knows, Shiva knows. Um, <clears throat> This person may know, that person may not know, uh, even though they spoke it, uh, is, is the implication, even though they heard it. Uh, but what is for sure, and this is where the second two lines come in, um, Shiva says, but for sure is that Sridha Swami knows by the grace of Narasingadev. Narasingadev was the Ishtadeva to the deity of, of um, uh, Shudraswami, who it appears um, that Govardhan Mat at Jagannath Puri, the priestly class there, the religious uh, personnel, they do the puja at the, at the temple of Jagannath. Uh, They're all Advaitins. Um, and it's been going on for centuries. Uh, and in that moth, that monastery of Shankar, which there are four, Bhakti is prominent. Now, Bhakti is seen as a means to an end. The deity is seen as provisional, Saguna Brahman, and so on and so forth, which, of course, is the Mayabad conception that we take exception to. Um, but um, Sridhar Swami and others were um, disposed towards bhakti considerably despite their Advaitin perspective. And in some cases, it, it appears quite clearly that bhakti got the upper hand, if you will, and they converted to a bhakti conception over the Advaitin conception, wherein in the bhakti conception, Bhagwan, you know, is seen as eternal and so on. There's no saguna Brahman and nirguna Brahman. Um, uh, Brahman in all respects is, is, is nirguna, not a product of the, of the uh, modes of nature and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I, let's give the example of the prominent, some of the prominent sannyasis in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission who considered who considered to be the roots of the metaphorical tree of bhakti, Keshava Puri, uh, 
Keshva, Paramananda Puri, Brahmananda Bharati. I mean, these were these are all arguably coming out of the uh, that same mat, or influenced by its in, in its bhakti influence, and they converted. Um, so, um, and became members of a new, even bhakti school, uh, school of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the metaphysic of Achintya Beta which was gradually developed by the Goswamis, and so forth. So it would appear that Shudars, we, we look at Sridhar Swami in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but at any rate, the verse says that by the grace of Mishringa, that he understood the Bhagavatam. Now the verse of Krishnadas, he may have been playing off of that verse, but he wrote, appears to have written his own verse. And he says, And so this one may know, that one may not know, may know. Um, but one thing's for sure, he says, that it won't be understood, the Bhagavatam, just by intellectually studying the tikas, atika and abudaya, not just by studying the tikas as an exercise of buddhi, of intelligence unto itself, but but by surrender, by 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 devotion, by by serving. Uh, forget the last the last line. If you could think of it, maybe it's in your chat. The whole verse. Uh, look up the chat here. Uh, you don't go to the last line. I can't remember the last line. But anyway, um, by the grace of the devotees, by bhakti, he is a, a fully transrational explanation of how the you know, Bhagavatam will be understood. Um, so there are different verses. They're similar, but they're different verses. And it's possible, again, as I say, that uh, Krishna's Kaviraj um, composed that verse and played off of the uh, earlier verse, changing it slightly for the point that he wanted to make. But in, in effect, both verses are saying the same thing because Sridhar Maharaj understood by the grace of Mishingadev. So by, by bhakti, by grace, um, only you can know, not by, uh, and, and of course, studying the tikas and buddhi as a way, if you will, is, is, is akin to uh, how it's uh, uh, the ideal of the, of the Advaitin school is pursued. They're gyanis. Mm -hmm. So Krishna's verse is a little bit anti-gyani, if you will. Um, and saying that lots of people studied the Bhagavatam and different tikas and made their own tikas, but they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to understand it by grace. And, and Shiva said in the other verse, well, Shudaswam is understood by the grace of Mishingadev. So their conclusion is the same. I hope that helps. I will see if you write in the chat. Um, but Indra has a question next. Um, yeah, may yeah. I? Cool. Hare Krishna. No. 
Um, I have two questions Can't about. Oh, Hare Krishna. Pranam. Can you hear me now? I, I can. Okay. I can hear you. Can you? Did you do oh, the yeah, English and read original okay. audio? Yeah. Terrible. Try that. I'm sorry. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. So where do I do this again? Interpretation, right? Okay. So English now better. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, Hare Krishna Pranam. I'm sorry. Um, I do have two questions about um, Radha Kund. Um, so, you know, it is said that we are invited to take a bath in uh, Sri Radha Kund. And when I was allowed to enter the dam and actually, you know, take my bath, you know, I was also like, you know, instructed, you know, there's a certain way to do this, you know, offer your obeisances and mantras and everything. Um, but then um, it's also said that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, like, uh, you know, have a lot of reverence and, you know, don't touch the DD with um, like your feet, for example. So I was just wondering, um, yeah, maybe if you can just shed some light on, on this. Um, and I was asking my husband and, and he actually said, well, Indra, it's like, um, you know, when the baby touches the mom with um, its feet, the mom doesn't mind. So, but I was wondering, maybe you can say more, um, more about this. Maybe. Well, I think there are different perspectives. Some people say that they revere the uh, Radha Kund, uh, synonymous with Radha, if you will, as the Padma Purana states, um, to be uh, such that uh, they, they won't bathe in her. And then others look at it another way. Gobardhan Hill has looked at that way too. In the Pushti Marg, they, they, they walk on Gobardhan Hill, Hill and in the Gaudiya Marg, uh, that's the Balabha Sampradaya and the Gaudiya Sampradaya, they don't, but they both have the same reasons. Hmm. Uh, I forget the Pushi's reason for walking on Gaudiya Hill, but it's not out of um, lack of uh, regard. Hmm. Um, so um, it seems that there are different ways in which the bathing in Radhakund can be looked at, both of which have the same ideal in mind and whichever one is more appealing to any individual devotee is the one that they should uh, should choose um, in our particular lineage coming from bhakti siddhanta saraswati Thakur, um there was more of i would say let's say let's say a conservative way of looking at it and um a Reluctance to bathe in Radhakund, um, even go, even spend time there. Um, I can't hear you anymore, by the way. But um, um, in as time has gone by, and members of our lineage have you know spent more time in India and so forth, they imbibe sensibilities from local people and other lineages and whatnot and Radhakund bathing has become more of a more of a thing it wasn't it wasn't something that uh, that was emphasized by Bhakti Siddhanta but it's not necessarily that, that those who do are bad or as I say it's just different ways of, of looking about looking at it um, your husband tried to apparently philosophically rationalize it and so forth so um, it's not that uh, if he advocates bathing in Radhakund and, and he doesn't have reverence or regard regard for her. So those are my thoughts on that. What's your other question? Um so so do you do you bathe in Radhakund then or would you recommend this for us or no? I don't I don't bathe in Radhakund. Okay. No. 
Okay, yeah. good. Then this was my last I time might... that I was bathing in Radhakund. <laughs> okay. But I mean, you know, I mean, I bathed in the Ganga, the Jamuna. I haven't been, been to India in a while, but, um, you know, and you could raise similar arguments. How can you touch Ganga with your feet? You know, I mean, she's worshipable uh, and so on. Uh, she's merciful too. So, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. that it? yeah yeah and the second question thank you is, is just maybe also a quick question because i was reading that uh, somebody uh, um, put the ashes of a devotee in, in radakund just like recently and so i was also thinking mm, is is this to be done or i never heard of that i certainly wouldn't do that um i um I mean, again, their intention is, is, is good, but um, and that's probably the most important thing. But then I, I, don't, I don't know if, they, if that's a custom there. I've, I've never heard of that before. No, it was um, like a Western devotee. Yeah, I probably yeah. would have not done that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But Yamuna would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the custom. I mean, common people uh -huh. that from the Brudge that's that's very typical so that that's uh you know there's a precedent for that as far as rada i don't i don't know if there's any such precedent for that i'm not certainly not familiar with it mm -hmm. yeah Kijai. Kijai. thank you okay um Anything okay else? uh yeah i will is someone is that someone else talking i can't uh, I just saw in the chat that is it Maros has a question. Um, do you want to unmute? Tandas Maharaj. Uh, yes. Um, so uh, I have a little bit like follow up question to this. Ahamvedmi Shukoveti. Yes. That I read in <clears throat> Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that. Uh, there are five kinds of people uh, considering knowledge of rasa, the one who don't know, the ones who know something, then one who knows only knowledge. Um, so my question is that I, have, I, I know nothing about this. So uh, is it okay uh, for me to study, study about rasa to be to know only from in like theoretically or i'm not sure i'm not, I'm not sure as you broke up a little bit i couldn't hear everything you said but you mentioned something about five different types of people what verse are you referring to in bhakti rasamrita sindhu do you know mm, i don't i don't have it now uh, but i can maybe if someone else has a question i can find it at any rate, the, the gist of your question is that you don't know anything about rasa. So does that make you unqualified to study about rasa? That's yeah. your question, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it would seem like if you don't know anything about rasa, that you'd be, yeah, you'd, you'd be the prime person for learning about rasa. <laughs> so uh, I think that it's one thing to taste rasa, it's another thing to learn theoretically about what is bhakti rasa. The latter is an exercise in tattva. The former is an exercise in, in 
in bhava. So you don't have bhava. Rasa is over your head, um, which is the essence, you know, this, this distillation of bhava is, is rasa. Um, but there's, uh, the books were not, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu was not written for somebody in bhava, per se, but for someone who needed to understand the tattva, the, the ground, uh, if you will, out of which Bhakti Rasa arises. So that's uh, an important book for all devotees. Prabhupada thought it was important enough to write a, his summary study on it, uh, Nectar Devotion, which he wanted all the devotees to read. So to become acquainted with the theory, I mean, it's not just, um, Arasa is not the only subject for that matter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's the whole practice, the angas of Bhakti, the, the definition of Bhakti, um, uh, the different types of bhakti, you know, in the first, uh, what is bhava bhakti, its nature, what is sadhana bhakti, its nature, what is prema bhakti, its nature. This is all in the first quadrant, if you will, of the book. Um, it, you know, and then you go into the, the ingredients of bhakti rasa, the, the, the vibhavas, which, which start to describe Krishna, the qualities of Krishna. Um, and, um, and, the, uh, and then, he, of course, he goes through the other um, ecstatic ingredients of, of bhakti rasa, your uh, anubhavs, stayibhav, yavicharibhavs, and so on. And then the different the rasas themselves, analyzed, and then some analysis of the combination of rasas and what are compatible or not. All this is very um important uh theoretical uh material that will be good for any devotee to become acquainted with so you should definitely study that's a very good book to study study with under guidance so you can ask questions and get clarity and so forth so it's, it's a complicated book mm -hmm. but um but yeah i do recommend it and you don't have to be a Rasika to read it. Now, there may be other books that only a Rasika will really, really benefit from fully. Um, someone's not a Rasika may benefit partially from them, but they're books of relish itself. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is not a book of that nature. It's more about the theory of Rasa. Does that help? I don't know, we seem to have lost contact with you. I hope you heard my answer. Yeah, it seems like it's frozen. Um, yeah, hopefully he heard it. Yeah. Um, so Umkar and Gayatri have a question and that's in the chat. Um, they say, uh, Jai Guru Maharaj, can you tell me where um, that verse is found about the Gandharva marriage? Um, and was it you concluding from Tikas or a verse itself that says it, please? It said uh, directly in the Mahabharat. I don't know the verse of Mahabharat, but I have seen it. Um, I may have cited it 
in my book, I mentioned this point in the book. I may have been outside the verse from Mahabharata. Referenced it, so I'll I'll take a look there. I don't recall. Um, and from the Bhagavatam, I've cited that also, and I can't recall if it's directly Krishna speaking or from the Tika. I will have to look that up for you, and. Um, and get back to you. Um, and that's an interesting question that you pose, but um, I wouldn't make the tika less important than the text if that at all is, is at the heart of your issue. Um, tika or text, as far as we're concerned, is is. Uh, valid praman but at least i know we have it may be from the teak in the bhagavatam i can't recall but i'm pretty i'm quite sure it's from the verse in the bhagavatam or in the mahabharata we have both in the least okay another question um someone is saying looks like ganga shakti she says i seem to have a problem understanding manjari bhava it is considered a part of Madhurya Rasa, but doesn't it consist mostly of Sakya and Dasya? Could you please explain? Thank you. Yes, it's a complicated uh, subject. It is a form of Madhurya Rasa, wherein the Kama or the eroticism is subdued. So the eroticism for Krishna, the romantic love for Krishna is present in the manjari but it's suppressed by dasya for um for radha and that dasya uh, borders on on sakya so it's not like a super formal dasya manjari will sit on the same bed with radha a sister and, and, and so forth so um um, and I should say I, that uh, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, arguably the Manjaris uh, are referred to as friends of Radha, those who give pre precedence to the friend of uh, rather over Krishna. Mm -hmm. That would be the friend being Radha of the Manjari and precedence being given to her rather than to Krishna, which is peculiar. There are devotees who give precedence to Krishna over the friend who see them equally in terms of their love and, and in an extreme situation where the friend is given emphasis over Krishna. So that latter arguably refers um, to Manjari. So there's a reference to seeing Radha as the friend. Sometimes we refer to it as Radha Dasyam, Sukadev, or excuse me, Raghunathas Goswami says, I don't want to be the friend of Radha, only the servant. So he's emphasized that side, in as much as those are, there are those who are primarily friends of Radha. This is called Saki Pranai. Saki Pranai, friendship among the ladies. 
among the friends, friendship among friends. And this is a reference to the lady friends. Um, so um, there, anyway, Raghunath does gives a strong emphasis on the Dasya side, but you're right there, the Dasya and Sakya are certainly elements of the Manjari Bhav um, with regard to Radha and with regard to Krishna, because the Manjari has a platonic relationship with Krishna. She's particularly characterized as one who does not want to have a direct romantic uh, union and relationship with Krishna. And even if he pushes for that, she pushes back. That's her characteristic. Um, and he takes kind of pleasure in that because it indirectly speaks of her um, chastity, you know, if you will, uh, to Radha and is her extreme um, serving attitude for her, for her friend, for Radha to put her first and so forth and to push her towards Krishna. So he, 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 he takes pleasure in that. Um, and arguably, therefore, she has a friendly relationship with Krishna. It's a romantic relationship, but it's of a more of a platonic nature. It doesn't turn into a romantic uh, directly, if you will, affair. Um, so yes, these elements are there in, in Manjari Bhav, but it is at the same time that it includes these uh, influences, a division of Madhurya Rasa, as explained by Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Although there are many nuanced expressions of Madhurya Rasa, he gives two basic divisions therein, Sambhog and Tadbhav. Sambhog refers to the, those gopis who desire to have a direct relationship with Krishna for his pleasure. They're not selfish, like Kubja. So Kubja could be called Sambhog in another sense, but, but Vishwanath Chakatitaka, Rupa Goswami, and Yuga Goswami does not disagree in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that um, the Sambhog, those who have Sambhog, who are filled with each desire for Sambhog union with Krishna, are doing so for his pleasure only. It's not a selfish thing. What's an example of somebody like that? Well, Radharani would be an example. Vishma Chakravarti gives the example of Chandravali. So same. They have direct relationship with Krishna for Krishna's pleasure. That's the one division, Sambhog Ichamai. The other division is Tadbhav Ichamai. Tadbhav means the becoming one, Tadatmika, Tadbhav with the bhava of a heroine, like Radha, for example, in our case, in our Sampradaya. So rather than pursuing a direct romantic relationship with Krishna, pursuing the romantic relation of Radha with Krishna by way of assisting her, so this is called tabhav, and, and this is the preferable uh, uh, type of Madhurya Rasa in the opinion of our founding Acharyas. And they are steeped in that uh, themselves. And it is a complicated affair, as you um, mentioned. But 
despite the fact that it has influences of Sakya and thus it is a form of Madhurya Rasa. Now, that said, in a peculiar statement in the Preeti Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami says that the heroines of Braj, the ladies of Braj, have Madhurya Rasa mixed with Sakya. I've written an article about that, it hasn't been published yet. Uh, that's his uh, opinion, peculiar. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some evidence to support that uh, perspective. Somewhat of a reverse, the Priyanarma Sakya, Sakya mixed with Madhurya, Madhurya mixed with Sakya. But, uh, so, um, I don't think there's anything to be confused about. Um, again, the Manjari Bhav is a particular type of romantic love. Um, it, the Manjaris are charmed by Krishna. They think he's the ideal, you know, hero. And so they just want him to be united with the ideal heroine and they don't think themselves to be such. Mm. I hope that helps. Um, Okay, Maro says, replied, sorry, my computer went off. I hope you can get the replay of that. But basically I said, if you can hear me now, that the, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is, is a book of tattva about the theoretical uh, theory of Bhakti Rasa. It's not a Rasika book that can only be relished by Rasikas. Um, and that if a non-Rasika reads it, won't get much out of it and think, hmm, it's not such a great book, I guess. I, something or they misunderstand it for some books are written for relishers who have the capacity to relish Bhakti Rasamitasin is not like that it's a book about the theory so if you want to know the theory which you should not only about Bhakti Rasa but about Sadhana Bhakti the, the definition of Bhakti what's the nature of Bhava Bhakti what's the nature of Prem Bhakti this is all given in Bhakti Rasamitasin it's an important book Prabhupada wrote his nectar devotion for all of his disciples, which is what was a summary study of the book. Oh, I, I reiterated that briefly for you because you weren't here. Um, so we have one more question. There are five types of, oh, there's that, that's his question, right? There are five types of people who consider, to consider those who experience rasa, those who experience the stage of, mm -hmm, those who understand about rasa and intellectually, those who are mistaken about rasa and those who know about rasa. So you want to be someone who understands about rasa, not someone who's mistaken about rasa. So you have to study Bhakti do for that. That's what that's for. All right, so we've run out of time. Uh, I think uh, we answered most of the questions. So thank you all. I hope to be with you next week. Thank you. Hare thank Krishna. you so much for your day. Okay. Um, so I'm just gonna make some announcements. Um, okay, so on Tuesday, uh, Ashram Maharaj is going to be giving a class on the Bhagavad Gita, chapter five, acting with detachment. And then on Thursday, Shamananda is giving class, Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, in numbers. And then on Fridays, Indranuja is giving class um, transitions on the journey of the devotee. And then on Sundays, we're back here.
Um, okay. Yeah. Mindranuja is canceled. It's canceled. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The Friday class is canceled. So the Friday class isn't happening. Um, okay. Thanks for letting me know. Um, all righty. Thanks, everyone. Hi, Bob.